Hello, and welcome to another episode of Endeavors. On today's show, actress Agnes Bruckner talks her role in the new horror anthology Immortal, plus Austin Tufts of Montreal band Braids on their new album, Shadow Offering. That's coming up on Endeavors. You're listening to Endeavors Radio with your host from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, Dan McKee. Hello. Happy Friday. Hope everyone is staying safe and healthy. And I know a number of places have instituted some new restrictions. We've got two guests on the show today. And my first guest is an actress who might be the only person to have ever played both Anna Nicole Smith and Chris Jenner. She definitely got her dose of reality TV, but Agnes Bruckner is probably best known for her appearances in horror and thriller films. She's appeared in such fare as The Glass House, Murder by Numbers, The Woods, Blood and Chocolate, Vacancy 2, The First Cut, Kill Theory, The Pact, and the new anthology, Immortal. She's also appeared on TV in Once Upon a Time, Covert Affairs, Fairly Legal, Hawaii Five-O, Private Practice, Dirty Sexy Money, Law and Order Criminal Intent, 24, Alias, Touched by an Angel, and The Bold and The Beautiful. As I mentioned, her new film is Immortal, which is an anthology of four horror shorts that all have the theme of immortality in some way. Agnes stars in the second uh, anthology about uh, a young couple who are expecting their first child, but not all is as it seems. The film co-stars Dylan Baker, Tony Todd, Sam Levine, Lindsay Mushet, Glees, Vanessa Lenges, with a special appearance by Mario Van Peebles. This is my conversation with actress Agnes Bruckner. How's uh, how's quarantining in uh, Hawaii? Oh man, um, 
It's actually, the island that I live on, I think there's only been in total from start to now, like 54 cases or something. Um, So it's been kind of chill over here. It's not as uh, crazy as I think like Los Angeles or, you know. Yeah. I've uh, as as intense. Yeah, I've I've uh, I spent the last five months on an island uh, in on the west coast of Canada, so I I I, I know what you're saying. Oh, nice. Yeah, in uh, in in Victoria. Yeah, it's, it's Victoria, a lot. So. It's a lot more laid back here, and um, I mean, we still have to wear masks and everything, but you know, it's there's on the island of Hawaii, there's not much going on, <laughs> so it's not um. It's not busy. It's not like Oahu or like, you know, like I said, like Los Angeles where I was born and lived for a long time. Um, All my, you know, friends and family that are there are just kind of going through it right now. So it sucks. But, you know, hopefully all this crap will be over with soon enough. You know, it's interesting. There, there are a few actors that I can think of that have properties um, in Hawaii. I know uh, Woody Harrelson comes to mind. For you, yeah. uh, you know, as someone who who moved away from the industry in Los Angeles, what what attracted you to Hawaii? Well, um, I <laughs> it's such a crazy story. I so I was working on, um, I believe, the last project I worked on before I left Los Angeles was Once Upon a Time, um, and The Returned, and I was flying back and forth from L.A. to Vancouver, L.A. to Vancouver, L.A. to Vancouver for, God, it was like seemed like forever. And I just really wanted to take a vacation and just get away. Um, so I literally just called my sister, and I asked her if she wanted to go with me. I was thinking about, you know, I was like, just pick an island somewhere. I want to be on a beach. I want to have, you know, rum in my hand, and I just want to, like, relax. And she was like, why don't we go to Hawaii? Uh, my sister, my older sister, actually lived on this island, Kauai, for eight plus years, um, and so we we've been here before plenty of times, and we know people here. We have friends here, so I was like, "Yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it." So we came here, and I think I think after like three days, we both met our future boyfriends slash baby daddies, <laughs> and. and um, I think I moved here like a month after. Um, I just I was really drawn to the the island of Kauai specifically because I just love the feeling, of family and culture here, and it's everybody knows everybody. Or you know, if you don't know somebody, you go up and you say hi, and you know, you give them the shaka, and it's it's so much love here, and it's very family oriented. And I just I wanted to start a family. I wanted to be in a community where I can raise kids. That's you know, they go running on the street and it's safe and, you know, the beach, we live like two blocks from the beach and I've always been drawn to the ocean. So it's, it just really kind of fit where I wanted to be in life. And, um, so I made the move and you know what, it's so crazy because I remember when I first started out in the business, you know, you had to go in and meet people face to face all the time, but it's become so much of a, Oh, just send your tape in, send your tape in. No, they just want to send your tape in. And, so I was really not going on that many auditions and meetings. Um, and, you know, I just figured, hey, if I can send in a tape from L.A., why can't I do it from Hawaii? Um, so, yeah, so I just, it, I everything kind of pointed to me just coming here. And I've always loved to move. So um, 
I don't know if I'll be here forever, but for now it's, you know, it's been great having, you know, my kids grow up here and um, having the space and the, like I said, the vibes here are just really awesome. So that's why I came here. <laughs> how do you, how do you think, in a nutshell. <laughs> how do you think being in a location like that has changed or affected you in creative ways? Um, well, I think that it's been, um, it's interesting because I, I kind of removed myself from, you know, Los Angeles is such a, you know, everywhere you go, there's somebody in the business. It's like the waiter is somebody that's, you know, trying to be an actress or an actor. And then, you know, you go here and you'll see somebody famous and it's just, everything is about the business there. And I've been, you know, doing things like this for so long. I, I started in a soap opera when I was 11 years old. And, um, you know, I was, I've been so fortunate to, like, continue to work throughout my career. And I was always working and working and working. And I really enjoyed it. But I just kind of, you know, I've always wanted to be a younger mom. And I've always wanted to, you know, kind of live my life as well. Not just, you know, constantly be in shape and constantly, you know, be working and meeting and doing this and that. I just, I've never been, you know, I've always kind of wanted to have a like slow down time where I can you know be with my kids and raise my kids and not just you know pop out a kid and then go back to work two months later like I just want to enjoy my life a little bit as well while I'm you know younger and so I think the energy just kind of I, I had to like switch it up I was I was I was I felt very like kind of done with LA for the moment um so Creatively, I think that, you know, I've had a lot more, you know, space from, you know, the film industry. And so I've kind of, I definitely think that as an actor, you have to, or at least I do, I use so much of, you know, life experiences and things that I've been through in my characters. And so I think that the last, like, five years that I've been here has just been super great for me to kind of, you know, put, like, little, you know, pieces of, what I've been going through into like my little acting jar that I can, you know, pull out later because, you know, I've had two kids and it's been awesome. And just, you know, the lifestyle change and the different things that we do now and just being outdoors constantly. I just, I love it. So it's, um, it's been, I think, creatively good for me because, you know, the next project that comes along or the next couple projects that come along, I'll, I'll be able to use a lot of these experiences that I've kind of acquired in the last five years living here. Well, you know, speaking of kids, your your role in in Immortal, you you play an expectant mother. Um, do you yes. do you remember what first attracted you to to Vanessa? Um, I I just thought that there was when I when I read the you know, um, the whole short with Vanessa and Gary, I was um, I remember thinking, wow, there's so much. Um, so many different like kind of layers to her because she's you know kind of there's so much going on and so it was really kind of um I was like wow that's that's gonna be fun because I think that I you know I'm really great at you know kind of being able to like switch back and forth and I've always been able to you know I don't like staying character all day you know I, I can pop in and out of my character like whenever I want and it was just something that seemed so fun to do because she's like nice one minute and you think she's like great and then like wow she makes this big turn and you're like what a bitch and then it's like oh my god are you serious so there's so many like different parts to it 
So that's like the main thing that drew me to the character. And then when I met with Danny, um, we had coffee just to talk about, you know, the character and the script and everything. Um, he was so energetic. I mean, I don't think I've ever, like, ever met a more energetic person in my life and so enthusiastic about this, like, about the part, about the film, about, you know, the whole movie. Just he was so into it. And so it was kind of hard to deny, like, okay, is this, you know, movie going to go somewhere? You know, like, how is it going to be? Because he was just so enthusiastic about it and so positive and just very into it. And um, definitely, like, a film geek, you know? <laughs> it's, like, one of those, like, I I love what I do as an actor, but I, I wouldn't consider myself, like, a film geek, you know? Like, just a, a person that knows so much about everything and about this and that, and just, he's so that person. Um, so that's that was a very positive thing for me and something that made me want to do the film even more because, you know, people like that, you know, you can never go wrong with people like that because they're always, you know, talking about ideas and this and that. So it was really cool. And, um, yeah. And then, and then we just kind of went from there and, um, he was super like enthusiastic about me playing the role as well, which was cool. Um, he was really excited about that. And, um, you know, it, it just, it was a great collaboration and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm super, just super proud to be a part of it. You know, the, the, the Immoral is interesting because it, it's essentially four unconnected short films, although they're all connected thematically. Did you get to read the whole script in the other three parts or were you only given your specific short film? Um, yeah, I was, I was, I actually, when they emailed me, I don't know who it was who first emailed me the, you know, the, my segment of it. And I guess there was the whole thing was, you know, in there too. But I, I, all I remember is that I, I, um, you know, only read our like kind of part of the film. And, um, I think like we, we shot it and then I looked back and I realized that, you know, they had sent me the whole thing, but I never got a chance to read it. So I actually didn't know. I knew that because we all, um, every director of every kind of segment, they were, everybody was friends. And Rob also, the, the one of the producers, you know, they're all like friends for a long time. So everybody kind of was talking about all the different segments and the, you know, it was, it was honestly like a bunch of friends just coming together and doing this. Um, and so I had heard about the other segments, but I never actually read them. I only read ours. And um, then when, you know, the film came out, I obviously, I watched all of it and, and was just like, wow, this is so, it was so cool. It's some, it, it was a cool idea in the beginning, you know, to begin with. But when it all came together, I think that everybody should be really proud because it was just something really um, it came out fantastic, I think. Well, I, I know that the director of one of the segments, uh, Tom Cawley, was the cinematographer for the whole film. Um, for you as an actor who you know was sort of part of an anthology, was it nice to have at least that, that one person there who, who could connect all the dots in a way? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I was too, like, you know, we were too, like, focused on the other, you know, segments just because, like we were you know so focused on ours but um it was definitely the the cool thing about working with everybody involved was that um they had all known each other for like a long time before and they all you know had great chemistry together and they were all 
um, super, like everybody was there. The, you know, the, the producers were there every day and um, everybody was, you know, involved. And when I mean involved, not just like, okay, you know, they were, they, everybody was just like super involved with like the story and, you know, getting everything done in time and just making everybody com- as comfortable as possible because it was, you know, we shot in this, you know, one house and there was no we didn't have trailers or anything it was like we hung out in the bedrooms when we weren't working and we did our makeup and hair in one bedroom and our changing room was the bathroom and um so it was it was really like just coming together as like you know this little family for four I think it was four days five days of shooting I don't even remember but it was just so you know intense and energy and motion like action-packed because it was so much to get done and you know, with a little time. And I've been a part of Indies where, you know, it's like that. And that's what's kind of exciting and um, uh, fun about working on films like that is the kind of intensity of like, oh my God, are we going to get everything done? And, you know, but when you're working with, like I said, the, the crew and the um, the friendship that they had before even, you know, coming to this project, um, it, it makes it a lot easier. The in, like the intensity is just you know it makes it a lot easier when you can go up to them and just be like hey guys what's up you know how's it going and they all just you know everybody was very friendly and um caring about each other and yeah it was it was just a lot of fun intense but a lot of fun would you consider yourself a fan of the sort of horror thriller genre oh yeah um i mean for sure i um I love working on them, but I also enjoy just, like, watching. Like, I, I, it's so fun to be a part of a horror film or thriller or, you know, whatever, because it's just, it's so intense. Like, there's just, like, you know, the running, the screaming, the, you know, ter- being terrified and, you know, worrying about somebody else and, you know, this action stunts and, you know, there's just so much going on all the time. And it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of, like, you know even if, you know, your friend dying, you know, in front of you and blood everywhere and you have to, you know, act that out. That's, it's something that's so kind of like out of this world that it's just, you know, it's fun to play. It. It's, it's fun to go there. Um, oh, I think it was on Venom. Uh, I, the, 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 the director of Venom uh, told me that I reminded him of Sigourney Weaver a little bit. And I was just like, oh my, my God, that's a, best compliment ever like I've always been such a fan of hers and like alien and you know it's it's such a fun um genre for me and I I really growing up we watched like my brother made us you know made me specifically watch with him like Chucky and um you know Jason was one of his favorite films and Freddy Krueger and all those films um I remember watching from when I was really really young um and can still watch now but you know I kind of tend to watch them during the day because if I watch them at night like I have to watch like Finding Nemo after or something because you know it's the horror movies nowadays I feel like are so much more creepier and the you know um like Annabelle and you know the, the ones with like the ghosts and the spirits and stuff like that um the conjuring like that those films like give me goosebumps and just you know really freak me out but yeah, to answer your question, I've always loved the genre, and I think it's so much fun to work on them as well. Um, it just, it's a whole different world, and the fans are also, like, so much more intense and crazy and unique, and 
fun to, you know, interact with, like, when you go to, like, signings or whatever, like, they're so into, you know, the movie and the genre, and they know everything about it, and they, like, cosplay and all that kind of stuff, so it's, it's definitely an awesome genre, I think. I, I gotta ask you about, what was it like having Mario Van Peebles as your cable guy? <laughs> it was really fun, um, you know, I've, I have not seen a lot of his work, um, or I think any of his work before um, I met him, um, but he definitely has a very cool swag to him. Um, I know who he is. I just never, you know, for whatever reason, got around to seeing, like, a lot of his work. And um, I actually remember meeting him long before this project. He probably will not remember, but he was working on a movie that my boyfriend at the time was working on with him and um so i met him briefly but he was really really cool very you know um like i said he has a very cool swag to him um but very like you know he was he was very present he was very there i thought i thought he did a great job um i think he only worked for like half a day or just one of the days but um it was it was really cool um he was a he was a fun guy and um yeah, I thought that he he added a lot to the you know the the story, so I thought it was I thought it was cool. The the whole film, but I think your your story in particular is all about the the choices we make and why. How much discussion was there with you and the director and and, and you know everybody involved in your segment about the the, the philosophical um reasoning or, or or the philosophical choices about why we do what we do and, and why Vanessa and Gary did what they did man I can sit around and talk about that kind of crap for forever I love it I love talking about you know like different scenarios why people do this why people do that um I do that all the time <laughs> I, could, I could literally sit around and talk about that kind of stuff forever um we we talked about it a lot, especially when I first met Danny. Um, and you know, he really wanted to. Uh, he really made it a point to say, you know, that he wants Vanessa to kind of come across as like this, you know, angel at first. Like she's just glowing. She's pregnant. She's in love. Her husband, this and that. And you know, he really wanted me to portray it like super. You know super like good girl because you know that when you make the twist it's only that much it makes it that much better or worse you know um so uh yeah we talked about it quite a lot in the beginning and then when we were on set as well um brett was um a very intense person to work with he was just like very into his character and um he has like this intense energy about him. He's very focused and he's very kind of like, you know, we, when we talked about it, it was very point of fact. And um, so he was, he was interesting to work off of because it was very like, he was very into his character. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of person that like, I, I, when I'm working, I love to, you know, have fun and, and, and kind of just be like, goofy and whatever like you know hang out with everybody like the crew and stuff like that and he just he seemed very like focused and he was always like you know focused and into his character and what's coming up next and you know focusing on that and just um it was great I mean he's such a great actor and it was you know um 
it was great to work off of him because he was so intense. Um, but yeah, we like we we talked about it, you know, here and there. It wasn't something that we were so focused on, but um, yeah, I mean, definitely spoke spoke on it. You know, you your two characters obviously are, are a millennial couple that are that are having financial difference or you know financial difficulties this you know this this whole idea that in in real life society uh m- millennials have have no money did did you talk at all about the you know the 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 real life societal aspects that that can often find their way into fictional stories um i don't remember talking about it we might have, but I don't remember specifically talking about it with like Brett or Danny or, you know, um, but I've definitely talked about that with, you know, my family members and like my dad. I know we talk about like that kind of stuff a lot because, you know, it's, it's, it's really crazy, especially now with like everything going on. Um, you know, I think it makes like people's um, energy just, you know, switch up a lot because it's, you know, it's so hard. Like life is so hard. And especially like, you know, when you're young and whatever, like I remember always being like, Oh my God, I want to be older. I want to be older. And my mom always telling me like, Oh my God, trust me, you're going to turn like 18. And you think what, like the grass is going to turn purple and everything's going to be great. And you know, you just want, I want to be independent so bad. And then you become independent and you're like, Holy shit. And then you add kids to it and you're like, Holy fuck. (laughs) It's like, you know, it's it's really hard like life is hard and you have to you know you just have to stay positive and kind of you know try your hardest to not um you know go crazy and lose your mind i mean it's it's um it's not an an easy thing to do um and like i said with the climate today it's like you know i my dad lived like a mile from me and he walks over here every day and we talk in the morning and you know things going on and um really intense and it can really um like I've been reading stories where it's like holy crap I don't even understand how somebody can do that but you know certain situations certain things happen and you know that's I mean that's life right and so yeah it was definitely a big part of you know the story as well for us um you know what happens when something you know like finance finances you know like get in the way like that or you know thinking about the future and oh you know you want your kids to be happy but you know what if this happens or what if that happens I mean um yeah the philosophical stuff you can you can talk about you know for days and days and days and days um but I don't remember specifically talking about you know that um subject with them but um yeah the the film deals with the idea that certain people are unable to die have you thought at all about immortality you know if you could live forever would you and and what you would do with with an infinite amount of time um i've definitely thought about it um i mean it's i don't know i don't know like i don't i just you know it's always there's no like end to the conversation you know there's no end to the idea of it it's like you know what if um but I don't know. I don't know what would be, like, you know, better to, like, you know, live forever and, to, you know, never have, like... I think that the, the great thing about, you know, knowing that, you know, everybody dies is that you, you know, you have a chance to live in the moment now 
um, knowing that something might happen. So um, I think that that gets lost on a lot of people. I think that, you know, even myself, it's like, you know, like, oh, I'm bored or I'm this or I'm that. And it's like, you know, there's, you don't know how much time you have here. And I think there's a certain amount of like excitement to that and, and, and fear as well. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I can't, like, that would be so crazy. Just, you know, even in our film, like just to die and then come back and then, you know, what, like, what then, you know, like what it's, it's kind of creepy. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's something that, you know, is, is always, you know, a good conversation to have with, like, you know, friends and family and just, you know, different people, people's different ideas of it. I mean, I know that, like, the older you get, I don't think you, you know, the majority of older people, I don't think, want to live forever because it's like, you know, what, you know, you, there's there has to be some kind of end, you know, to life. But um, who knows? I mean, it's it's such a, you know, like crazy conversation and something that the, the idea of it is so out there that, you know, you can come up with so many different, you know, ways of looking at it. But um, yeah, I, I definitely like the subject though. I think it's a really cool subject, especially for this genre. I mean, it's, you know, you kind of can't go wrong, right? <laughs> I know we, we've been talking a, a lot about motherhood and you've gotten to play one of the most, well, currently, uh, one of the most famous mothers uh, around in 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 Chris Jenner. Um, what was it like for you getting to explore the the world of her and, and the world of the Kardashians? Man, you know what I I watch I I mean I don't think I watched from the beginning. I watched you know their show the Kardashian um, the show for like three or four years in a row. Um, I remember I was like dating somebody and his roommate was you know, really into it. So I started watching it and, um, it's crazy, man. I mean, it's, they have such a crazy lifestyle. If you really think about it. Um, and you watch the show and it's just, you know, they have so much money, like money and, um, you know, the things that they're able to do and, um, and you know, where they started from, I think is, is really crazy. Um, so when I when I had the opportunity to play her, I was like, oh, oh yeah, because I I I know you know I I've watched their show and I know their world and I know like you know the momager thing and how she is you know she's like the head she's the HBIC she's the head bitch in charge like it's such a fun role so um I was really excited about about playing her and you know kind of putting my own spin on who you know she is because I've never met her so I have you know but I've watched the show and I've you know I can put you know like Chris Jenner into my head and just kind of it was so fun to play her um you know because her lifestyle and just the way she is and she seems I mean I like I said I don't know her personally and it is a reality show so you know who, who knows how much of it is is actual reality but she seems very, you know, positive and, you know, always, you know, willing to have a good time. And she always seems to have a good time. So it was really fun to play her. Um, and, you know, I think that as crazy as they are, I mean, hey, you know, they did it. I mean, they built a freaking crazy empire and good for them, you know. I mean, I have, I have nothing but, you know, like positive things when it comes to that family, man. I mean, it's they're so they're so entertaining and I guess that's why they've worked for so long you know I I also wanted to ask you speaking of great 
thrillers. Uh, you got to work on twenty on the TV show Twenty Four. Uh, you were on day three, and that was a groundbreaking show for so many reasons. Um, what do you what do you remember about that experience? Man, um, well, I remember I went into the audition. Um, God, was I going in? I think I might have still been like I think my mom might have still been taking me to that audition or to auditions. I don't even remember. Um, but I do remember going into the room um, when I auditioned, and there was like a big emotional scene that was one of the auditioning scenes, and um, I just remember like really blowing it away. Like I just I did such a great job. I felt good about it. I was like emotional. I cried. I turned all red. Like I usually do when I get emotional. And I remember leaving feeling really good. And I think within the hour they called and said that, you know, I got the part and I was super stoked. I mean, it was such a, you know, big show. I didn't watch it. Like, I don't, I don't think I've ever really watched um, any shows besides Game of Thrones, like all the way through. Um, so I never really, you know, knew what the sh- I know what what it was about, but I didn't, you know, watch the show. Um, but man, I was just I was I was really excited um, because it was like I said, it was an intense character, and um, you know, I knew how big the show was, and um, so yeah, I was just really excited. And then we got to I got to work with Riley Smith, who I'd worked with on a um, on a, a pilot back like back in the day I think I was only like 14 or something when we worked together for the first time well I was 14 he was much older or older um so it was really cool to reconnect with him and um he was great and you know just super awesome to work with and a really nice guy um and we had a lot of fun I remember there was like a like a makeout scene or something like that and I do remember being um, like really nervous about that because, you know, I knew that you couldn't show anything on TV, but when you're shooting, like, you know, you have to still look as, you know, naked or whatever as possible. So I just remember being really nervous about that and, um, it being kind of awkward just because, you know, I had this like half band, band, uh, what is those band do, whatever things called that, um, girls wear, it's like strapless bra basically, but they cut off the sides and like taped it like under my arm so that my whole back looks naked. And I just remember feeling like super, you know, awkward about that. Um, so that's something that sticks out too, but it was, it was a great time, a great shoot. And um, I just remember like people being so excited that I got it because, you know, it was such a, you know, big show. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was really fun. And yeah, something really awesome to have on my resume too, I think. You've, uh, You've you've explored a lot of different genres um, in in your work. What what's one type of film or show that that you still want to make? Oh man, um, you know I would really do like really love to do something um, like really uh, like actiony. <laughs> like I, I I would love to do like a like Laura Croft show or, you know, like I've always loved, um, um, underworld, you know, um, I think that'd be really fun. Cause I played a werewolf in blood and chocolate, but it was, you know, kind of a 
regular girl. Like it wasn't like that kind of badass action, you know, kind of feel. And I would really love to be a part of something like that. Like, you know, just, I think it would be so fun. Um, I've always loved like World of Warcraft. I used to play World of Warcraft like crazy until I had kids. (laughs) Um, I just love that kind of fantasy world of, you know, monsters and vampires and werewolves and you know guns and you know the action and all that kind of stuff and i would just really love to be a part of something like that like a production where it's like underworld you know i think i um gary lucchese who was one of the producers on underworld um produced blood and chocolate and i remember telling him like oh my god i love underworld and you know kate beckinsale was just so fucking good in it and um there was like talks about me auditioning for the last one not the last one second to the last one I don't remember which one it was and I was like no way but I think I was still a little too young um for for the role but um yeah so something like that would be really cool I think um and that's kind of what I've been like looking for you know to work on next finally because I I I know you gotta run you gotta and you got other uh, other other people to talk to um just have, have you thought about what you want the audience to take away when they see Immortal? Oh, um, I don't think I ever really want, like, I, I, I don't think I ever really think about that. I mean, um, I, yeah, I don't really ever think about that. It's kind of, you know, when I watch something, it's, you know, I, you, everybody's, you know, different. Everybody takes away, you know, different things. And, um, so I never really think about it like that. For me, it's kind of fun to, you know, work on something and do something and put it out there. And then, you know, the reaction I get back without even thinking about it is kind of what I look forward to, if that makes sense. Um, and it's always something different. And, I, you know, I've had fans, you know, react to different things in different ways and say different things about, you know, the work that I've done. Um so yeah, I don't. I don't ever really think about that, to be honest. Well, uh, the film is immoral, and it's uh, available on demand September eighth, I believe, according to the press release here. Um, yeah. On uh, on on a variety of different platforms. Uh, Agnes Bruckner, thanks so much for your time today. Sorry, sorry for keeping you a little longer. No, no, no worries, and thank you for um, having me. I enjoyed it. All righty. Stay safe over there. All right. Ciao. All right. You too. Have a good weekend. That was my conversation with actress Agnes Bruckner. Once again, she appears in the new horror anthology Immortal out now. Well, from horror, we move over to indie music. Back when I first started in community radio at CGSF, I would interview a lot of bands, which I guess makes sense being at community radio. They were always my bread and butter. And, you know, I've done like singer-songwriters like Haley Blaze and, and Ron Hawkins recently, but I haven't done nearly as many bands as I used to. But today, uh, I do have Austin Tufts. Uh, who is the drummer for a great uh, Montreal-based band called Braids. Uh, And earlier this year, um, 
over the last little while, they've been releasing their new album, Shadow Offering. Uh, they had a listen-along live stream back in June, the, and they've released a couple of singles over the last few months, and then the actual album itself uh, was released at the end of June. They also had uh, a little bit of help with this uh, album as it was sort of mixed and produced by Chris Walla, who was formerly a member of the alt-rock band Death Cab for Cutie. I, I got to speak with Austin about, you know, being a musician uh, in times of quarantine how live shows are going to change, live stream, live streaming, and, and the band's writing process. This is my conversation with Austin Tufts of Braids. But it's starting to get cold here. Oh, I'm I'm in uh, I'm in Victoria, and it's been really hot the last couple of days. Nice. I've actually been spending more time out there recently. Oh yeah. Yeah, my my partner just relocated to Victoria and uh, she got a job in the BC legislature and uh, yeah I'm just kind of like you know when you get a job in the middle of a pandemic you got to take it <laughs> so well, fair enough fair enough so um, I'm actually going to be coming out there in October for a couple oh, weeks oh nice hang out yeah no I I was in Toronto and then I had to come back home during the pandemic you know. yeah I hear that I hear yeah. that so yeah it's starting to be fucking full like full on where where are you at i'm in montreal oh okay yeah so all the leaves i was just away for the weekend and like all the leaves or i guess the week i was kind of away from monday till thursday uh at a little cottage with some friends and it was like from the monday until the thursday you could see a marked change of the the trees like they were turning red and yellow like it was it was crazy how's uh how's the quarantine life overall been treating you pretty well to be honest i mean like uh i mean montreal was kind of the epicenter uh at least in canada for um for quite a while there so things were pretty intense for a good couple months really didn't like do anything like it um I'm currently in my recording studio right now. And luckily this is like a, like a totally private little space that I could come to every single day that braids is just, just us that are here. So uh, we just like pawed it up together and just continued to come in because we had like our entire record campaign, just sort of like totally curveballed, right. With the, with the pandemic. So all of our, um, all of our tours and everything like that got canceled. So we were just like, if we can hold on to some sort of some little nugget of writing or something like that, like it would be really helpful. So we just came in every day and we're still trying to be creative. And how, how does, how does something like this do you think affect your creativity? Uh, it's interesting. I think that depending on how, like what kind of creator you are, you are, it can either tip, one of two ways for me i'm very much um i'm not a lyricist so i don't draw on like you know current events or things like that or whatever's happening like from a direct perspective so i'm way more productive and way more 
uh, I think I do my best work when I'm feeling good. And like when I uh, have like positive things going on in my life. So and definitely like having like anger and fear and frustration fuels a very different side of my creativity that I'm not used to. Um, whereas like I'm always kind of, you know, whenever we're going to record something or, or write during a writing session, I'm always trying to figure out how to make myself feel kind of like peak. So whether or not that's like doing yoga or going for runs or like um, going and writing music in a, in a cabin or something like that, like whatever to just really eliminate all of the everyday grind, but not having that ability for the last several months has been like, interesting and it's allowed me to like focus in on the other side of of the creativity and like be like hey what does it feel like and what does it sound like if i'm creating with a bit more anger in my life or a bit more uh uncertainty or or questioning you know uh the i know your new album is uh shadow offering yes um where where did where did this start for you would you say was was there one thing that was that was a genesis yeah i mean with braids being the sort of like predominant creative force in uh the three of our lives it was like we had just finished wrapping up um touring deep in the iris which is our last record and at that point we we're like okay we know that we want to take a marked step forward in terms of our songwriting so we like the sort of genesis point of deep in the iris was or sorry of shadow offering was that we wanted to take take a step back from this the natural cycle that you get caught up in when you're in a band and where it's just you're consistently touring and then and then writing in these like really short little bursts of time when you're not touring and so we wanted to see what would happen if we at this point, you know, we were all coming into our thirties and it was like, okay, do we want to, um, like take a, take a actual step forward as songwriters. So we gave ourselves a, like a larger swath of time to, to do that. And we're like, let's just write a ton of songs. We wrote like 40 songs and just like, just workshopping our, our, our writing press, like, like primarily songwriting, not as much playing, like, uh, but actually just like songwriting as a group and as individuals. And um, so that's kind of where the the impetus like came from for this record. It was just like, what, what can we, what can we do if we actually like just set some time aside to grow, you know? How, how would you describe your, your overall writing process as a band? I mean, you, you said you're not a lyricist. So do you find that the melody always comes first? Uh, well, I, I don't know if you've listened to braids, but I'm not the singer in the band. Um, so uh, we, Raphael is the singer in our band. And um, so she writes all the lyrics and she sings. Um, for me, I'm a drummer. So um, our, our overall creative process is like very much like, it's a super, super collaborative thing for us. Um, we, I think that's kind of the main thing that sets us apart. And that's kind of like where we draw our inspiration from is the fact that there's no sole songwriter. So one person will bring in like a small kernel of an idea and then we'll workshop that um, all three of us in the room together. And we will uh, definitely just kind of like 
continually breathe embers on, like breathe uh, air onto the embers and see where that takes things and, and then record that and capture that and then listen back to that and then go on tour with that song and be like, how does this shape when we're in front of a live audience? And so there's always these like discrete um, processes for actually taking a song from beginning to end for us. It's not like somebody walks in and is like, oh, hey, I've got these chord changes and these lyrics and now we just need to like arrange it for a band. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, it's super collaborative. And how did um, Chris Walla from Death Cab get involved with the project? Um, so Chris actually was a total happenstance that uh, we took over this recording studio about three and a half years ago. And like, just as kind of, we were going into writing uh, for Shadow Offering and Chris Walla was looking for, a, he was looking to move to Montreal actually. And so he, he hit up us just saying, Hey, I'm looking for a studio space. And I heard that you guys have a cool space. Um, we have two rooms in, in here and he's like, I'm just looking for a place just to set up a little recording studio and just do mostly mixing and producing work of my own stuff. So, uh, he came, we went out for lunch and just like clicked right away as people and as, as friends. And then he ended up set, setting up like a little, quite a beautiful little mixing suite here. And he was just working on things. He was working on a record for this band called Foxing. They're a really good band down in the States. They're like a bit more of like a hardcore band. Uh, but they kind of, they made a record with Chris that's like very kind of melodic and poppy and super, super cool. And he was mixing that and we were listening to that just being like, wow, this is so energetic and I love it. And we were just, we had been working on the songs for like a year and a half or something like that. And we had all these songs, we had like 37 or 38 songs. And we just really wanted to narrow that into like a body of work to actually make a record. And, uh, when you make that many songs, you kind of get lost in this like open ocean, you know, you're just kind of like, okay, what's the best of this group? Like what is, what's the most, like, what are the essence tracks? What's like, what's an actual sort of like body of work look like in here? And so um, we looked, just started playing the songs for Chris and he was really supportive of them and he loved them. And he just hit us up being like, yo, like if there's anything I can do to help, like super happy to. And uh, we were on tour in Poland, I think. And we were like trying the songs live and it was like, okay, they were really, they had a great feeling playing them for an audience. And we knew that we wanted to play them live and get those under, get them really under our fingers before we went into a studio to track them. And then it became clear to me that it was like, like we 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 were going to need somebody to actually help us engineer these songs um, because we had always recorded everything ourselves prior to that. And so we asked Chris if he wanted to just like engineer the sessions and basically just record them. And then when he got in the room with us, it became even more clear that he had just so much to offer just outside of just pressing record and, and like placing microphones. And he, so he came on board as a co-producer for the record and, uh, really helped us sort of like blow the lid off of what we could achieve with the record and made it much more lush than we were kind of anticipating at first. And, um, it was great. He's a wonderful collaborator. What does it do for you creatively to, to have someone from the outside kind of being, being brought in? 
well, it was a big change for us because it was the first time we'd ever let anybody into our creative process. Um, from just like from songwriting to recording to producing to mixing, we'd done everything ourselves prior. And uh, for, so for the first two records, we actually like mixed everything. And then on uh, Deep in the Iris, our third record, we came into this studio with the guy who built it and mixed the record, but we had done everything like all the production and recording ourselves and that was done with a, a guy named Damien Taylor and that was the very first time we ever brought anybody in to, to to touch anything and that was just like we couldn't afford that much with him so we just like let's book out five days and just mix the whole thing in five days so we did that and it was like oh there's so much left on the table and that you can just like unlock when you like work with highly specialized people and uh so I, we weren't even sure if we were gonna like have anybody involved on uh working with us for shadow offering but just like because where we found ourselves with so many songs and not really being totally certain where we wanted to point our nose and uh just needing your just we just got too close to them we needed some outside energy to like help push us across the finish line and um it was at first it was really challenging like having Chris in there. He's a, he's an amazing human and a really beautiful soul, you know, like he's very kind and very gentle, very opinionated. I love it. And like, uh, but he just basically at first it was, it was really, it was a big challenge. It was a lot of like letting go and just like relinquishing control. Um, but through doing that, I think we learned a lot as a group about how to be better collaborators, how to, how to be better band members with each other and he pointed out like without even explicitly saying it, but he just, just his presence and just his energy uh, really kind of highlighted some of the knots that we had found ourselves in over the years of being a band for 15 years. You know, it's like, that's just, you know, when you're collaborators, when you're a collaborator with somebody for so long, you, you build these habits, you build these like these formed channels and he just, kind of knocked the ball out of those channels a little bit and was like, Hey, what if we, what if you guys are just like slightly different with each other in this way or give more space to each other. And it really um, allowed everybody to be a bit more individualistic and a little bit less like we all need to come to a group consensus on absolutely everything and kind of coined the phrase, you can go to the mat for something. And so like it allowed everybody to be like, look, I feel really strongly about this one thing. I'm going to go to the mat for this. Like basically I'll fight you for it, you know? And uh, it was really great because before that, the, like because of the collaborative nature of, of the band, things were often super democratic and we'd have to like, you know, agree, everyone would have to agree on something before it could actually be done. But having him there was just, it, it allowed people to be like, I feel really strongly about this. This is something I'm going to the mat for. And then you could champion that idea and, and chase that. Do you think then going forward you will you will have more outside collaborators and outside producers uh that's hard to say i think that i've there are merits to it 100 percent. there are merits to it um there's something also really beautiful about the about what you can achieve uh with just three people in a room and like when you're totally kind of like closed off to, to everything there's there's merits to both ways i think that depends on the, what the songs sound like depends on what the project is i definitely see the benefits of having the outside ears 
but it it does change change the outcomes like drastically you know so i think if you have like a really clear idea of what you want um it can either be great to seek out the person that can make that happen or if you really know how to make it happen already yourself just try to do it yourself you know i think that that's the most beautiful thing about the modern recording era is that everybody can make music and everybody it's like such a direct thing it's just like you need a couple microphones and like an interface and a computer and you can like pretty much get by and make really cool interesting creative stuff on your own and I mean, that's how we learned is just doing it ourselves and i think that there's like there's definitely a magic in that and uh luckily for us with the case like working with chris i don't think i think we breathed way more magic back into it than we lost but i think for some some bands i've seen that where they bring in somebody an outside perspective and it actually like loses that that magic and that beauty that they had just as the band members you know uh, i know that you yeah, you got a couple of songs that were released um back in june here for you and upheaval too um what what can you tell us about those tracks uh those tracks in particular yeah like the the why why were those ones maybe re- released as as singles and sort of how how did they come together um yeah so the uh, people too wasn't a single that that came out with the record um but we kind of like we started putting out singles back in september of last or back in uh september october of last year we put out the first single called eclipse um and that was just like it felt really good to put it out near the end of like coming into fall and it was really summery and uh just kind of as a teaser track and then we announced the record with the song called young buck in um january and that was kind of the lead single for the song that's the for the record that's someone we went actually like tried to you know went to radio with and made like a really sort of technicolor really fun music video for it uh definitely the most like sort of poppy upbeat song on the record um and then we put out a song right as the pandemic hit um we put out a song called snow angel and that song is a it's a bit of a protest piece and a commentary on climate change and it felt really just like there was so much um so much unrest going on in the world at the, at the time that we knew we always wanted to put that song out as a single because it's like it's this nine minute epic with like a massive spoken word section in the middle of it it's a bit definitely most of like the sort of it's a bit more like a post-punk song and it's uh but it really felt timely and, and important to put that song out. And especially, I, I don't know if you, it was the same for you, but at the beginning of the pandemic, it really, I kept just thinking about climate change so much because all of a sudden there was no air travel. There was like all these industries were shutting down and like um, we were seeing unprecedented, like unprecedented levels of urban wildlife sightings you know like deer walking into the cities other than victoria that's always a thing in victoria but like uh birds that you'd never see like flying overhead there's like great blue herons like downtown montreal there was you know uh dolphins in the canals in venice and stuff like that and it really kind of felt like hey wow it's and it was just like seeing that the globe and like all the people around the world could like come together 
to fight something like a pandemic. It's like, we could come together and fight climate change that way, you know? And so we put that song out that felt really good. And then we put out another single called just let me. Um, and then actually here for you came out on the day of release with the rest of the record with, um, in June. You know, you, you mentioned that you, you, you put a couple of things out during, you know, sort of right when the pandemic hit, how, how do you think the pandemic and the quarantine in this time has maybe changed society's appreciation for art, if at all? Um, it's a good question. I, I think that it has made people realize the importance of live music in their lives. Um, I think a lot of people miss it. I think a lot of people really miss being able to go and have that cathartic experience, just being with other humans in, uh, in a space, you know, and, and whether or not you're moshing or dancing or crying or whatever you're doing at the show, it's like just being able to emote with other humans in a space safely. It's like, I can't, it feels so far away at this point, you know? Um, so I think it really has made people realize how much that they appreciate that. I think we've gone through, we've seen waves in like listenership um, with music. At first it was like people were listening like all time lows on like streaming platforms uh, right, at, right at the gate because nobody was commuting to work. And that's when a lot of people like listen to music. So it was interesting. There was more way less passive listening and way more intentional listening. So you was, you were seeing like, top artists were getting less plays but then like like because they're on all these big playlists and the those playlists weren't getting as many plays right off the bat but then like smaller artists or artists that are like oh this is my favorite band i listen to them every day and regardless those artists were getting more plays because people were going to their favorite records and their favorite songs for healing and for for feeling like affirmed and just feeling heard and feeling like like a human. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's really interesting. I think that it's, people will have those records that like soundtrack the pandemic for them, you know? Um, for me, I just went to my first art gallery yesterday that I've been to in seven months, you know, and it was amazing. It was this big indigenous art exhibition at the national art gallery in, uh, Ottawa. And, it was amazing. It was so fantastic to just to be in the presence of large scale visual art for the first time in a long time. Um, I think that there's a lot of positive, like really sad and really like stark realities are setting in, in the music industry, at least with like, with touring being pretty much the only way that most artists make money anymore and having it being completely grounded and no tours are happening at all, right? So uh, it sucked a lot of money out of the music industry. So um, it's making a lot, a lot of artists are struggling right now, but, and a lot of them are thinking about how to um, rework their businesses to be more equitable. Um, and so I think that there's going to be a lot of net positives coming out of this uh, in terms of, more equitable um, representation for artists and 
yeah, like hopefully a more equitable and more diverse representation for artists, just like large, large scale. So I, I know you had a, a live stream of the album uh, back in June, kind of when it first came out. What was that experience like for you as a band? Sort of here you are, you have followers, you're playing the songs, but no one's there. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, we've done a couple different like live stream things. I mean, we did we did like a live listening party of the record, like right when the record came out. And we were just like in the chat on YouTube, hanging out, like listening and like hanging out with the fans. And like that felt really good. It was actually super fun and invigorating to just be able to like connect with people that we've been touring around the world for better part of a decade now. And so we actually like have personal relationships with a lot of our fans, like in cities all over the world so it's it's really nice to be able to even just connect with them and be like hey i know you lovely person in amsterdam and like here you are on the chat and um that felt really good and uh, helped to break that like feeling of isolation and then we started doing a series we did a series of uh live stream performances from this from this studio actually we called it our world tour like www world tour uh, and it was all digital uh live stream performances like on youtube and um facebook and they were just like broadcast from our studio here and we did them in six shows in 24 hours in six different time zones around the globe so it was and it was all live all every single one was different so we were basically up for 24 hours just playing music from our studio for our fans and it was so fun and uh, that was also really interactive. We were hanging out on the chats on all the different platforms and um, people were really into that and like really responsive and it, it'll never replace the like the feeling of going to a concert but it's definitely nice to be able to see bands that you like and that you and artists that you appreciate just see them adapting and see them be like sharing still. Um, for me I love to share the music that I make and it feels really good. What do you think music is going to look like when we come out of this and perhaps even be able to go to live shows again? Um, unfortunately, like, I'm not particularly optimistic about um, a lot of aspects of the touring industry are going to be so changed. Um, you're going to have a lot of venues around the world that are going to be shuttered, that are going to close down because they haven't been able to have any income for almost two years. You know, I think that like, we're not even really going to see touring until summer of next year, maybe fall, you know, we've scheduled and recanceled tours like three or four times now, just like with agents and, and promoters being like, Oh yeah, let's do this for now. And then it's like, no, okay. We have to push it back further and push it back further just for safety. And uh, these poor venues and poor promoters, this is, the only source of income for these people, you know, and for these businesses. And there's just nothing, there's zero dollars coming in. So unless they're lucky and they have a government that is able to support them. Uh, and like, we're super lucky here in Canada, that there's been a lot of like relief efforts, but in the States and, uh, and in the UK as well, I mean, like there's already just like 25% of venues under 500 capacity of closed down in the UK. It's like, that's so sad. And the big ones are going to survive because they're all sponsored by like corp big corporations or whatever, but it's the small little venues that are like local hubs for people 
and like local communities and small touring artists and it's I think it's it's gonna be really hard when we return back I think it's gonna be really joyous for a lot of people but I think that it's also gonna be really it's gonna be a real challenge for the industry to like readjust um yeah it's gonna be a lot of shows really like packed into a small amount of time period because it's going to be all the people that have been just holding out waiting 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 and i think like the minute that concerts are greenlit it's going to be like every night there's going to be every band playing it's gonna be crazy well the new album is shadow offering from braids it is out now austin thanks so much for your time this afternoon man Thank you, Dan, and uh, enjoy Victoria. It's a lovely place, beautiful weather, gorgeous surroundings. And uh, when I'm there in October, maybe let's connect and grab a coffee. Yes, we'll do that. Sounds good, man. Alrighty, Take care. Ciao. Ciao. And once again, that was my conversation with Austin Tufts of the indie rock band Braids. Their new album, Shadow Offering, is out now. That does it for me today. Monday, you don't want to miss this interview. I speak with Doctor Who icon, the seventh doctor himself, Sylvester McCoy. Tune in for that. It's going to be a good one. Please subscribe to Endeavors on Apple, Google, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever you choose to listen to your podcasts. If you have a streamer that I don't mention and you can't find it, please let me know. You can write to EndeavorsRadio at gmail.com and I will do my best to get it on that particular platform. You can also follow me on social media at EndeavorsRadio and visit me on the web at EndeavorsMedia.com. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Bye for now. I just like to have a lot of sex. <laughs>